We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we took a little week off there, unfortunately, because because uh, uh, of medical things. How how you feeling this week, buddy? Uh, I med- medical. Th- I mean, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm better now. <laughs> you tweeted out we canceled because of an emergency. Like I wasn't in the hospital or anything. I just I just had. I was That's sick. not I juicy felt- though. Come on, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm fine, everyone. I'm good. I have a little bit of a cough every now and then. Uh, well, my nose, you know, a couple times a day, but it's, it's, you know, much better than it was a couple days ago. And I don't know, man, every time I get like with the vaccines and I actually get COVID, like just like crazy fever, I'm, I'm so happy to be yeah. back. <laughs> And it took forever, dude. It wasn't just like a couple of days where it was like, ah, I feel like crap. And then you're good. It was very up and down recovering, which was annoying uh, more than anything. But I think at this point I'm, I'm past it. Well, glad to hear it, man. Uh, glad to hear you're feeling better. Not much was going on last week anyway. Um, you know, we're, we're in uh, gym, you know, watching season videos of guys. Ooh, is Rui slimmer? Is Jared Vanderbilt taller? Um, so that's, that's, that's the stage of the off season we're in, mm-hmm. uh, but we My do have basketball. <laughs> yeah, we do have basketball at least with one of uh, our favorite current players, Austin Reeves and team USA. So we'll, we'll start there today. Um, and we'll take some questions, uh, kind of about the, the coming season about Austin's performance on team USA. They had a pretty close one against Germany and, uh, and, Austin came in, and, you know, alongside obviously Anthony Edwards was kind of the big story there. But I think Austin, uh, Anthony Edwards, and Tyrese Halliburton all kind of stepped up when the USA needed them down fifteen in the third, sixteen, I think, in the third to Germany. But ultimately, 
USA was able to come out and uh, take that one. Are you feeling better, worse, this, the same about the team after a few more games? I feel good. Like at this, at some point, this was going to happen. There were a number of games the team was just able to just completely out talent and roll through and not really need to do much. And we've seen them over time add to the offensive scheme. And in this game, we saw them actually need to make a couple adjustments with the defensive scheme. We saw Dennis Schroeder, Daniel Tice, Franz Wagner, uh, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bongo is on this team. Uh, There's some dudes that Germany has, and they had some good pick and roll game going. They're getting some lobs. And so USA went through, you know, are we hedging? Are we in drop? Are we switching? Course of the game kind of figured out like, oh, okay, when we're actually playing a team that can play with us, these are the guys we can trust. And this is how we can use them. They tried switching with Brunson. It's like, oh, well, that's a bad idea. They were able to hunt him. Uh, they're even, I mean, there were times they were bringing Brunson's man up to set ball screens just to try to get him in coverage. So the team went to Halliburton, who has his own concerns defensively, but is a much better equipped defender in switch situations. And so that worked well for the team defensively. And, you know, a couple tweaks here and there, and all of a sudden it wasn't, you know, Lob City anymore for Germany. And that slowed some things down. I think we've seen defensive roles, you know, be finagled a little bit. We got to see more Mikhail Bridges and Josh Hart at the point of attacks and Austin Reeves. Uh, so I think that it's good. It's good that they're getting tested. It forces them to try to find those answers now. And I mean, I said this in, in, the, in the past, like this roster has everything. They've got shooting, they've got playmaking, they've got size, they can go big, they can go small, they can run every coverage they want to defensively. They certainly have the coaching staff to, to do what they need to do. And it's good that they are facing zone and having to struggle through it, face press and have to struggle through it and, you know, have to defend and be multiple in ball screen coverages and have to work around, you know, with the rotations all in games that don't matter. So I think this just sets them up to be better when the games do count. And I think this also helps Austin Reeves too. Like if you're just rolling over every team by 30 points, and no one's really pressuring you at all, it's harder for a guy like Reeves to showcase his value and for you to say, oh, crap, we, you know, we need to make tough decisions. We, you know, we need to win right now, so we're going to put him in. So I think he's been able to earn more of that respect within that locker room, among that coaching staff, among his fellow players. And we're seeing his playing time increase as I think a lot of people are seeing what we've been seeing with him. Like, this guy can play. This, this dude can ball out. And so I think it's good for both Team USA and Austin. Yeah, it's been cool to see, you know, we had that like report from Windhorse, like what people constantly being surprised about how good this guy is um, at different things. And and Steve Kerr, everyone speaking so highly of him. Uh, I thought Germany was coached really well, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of looking at them trying to, yeah, attack Brunson and like empty side pick and rolls. And, you know, when you put a, two NBA players in an action like that with like Schroeder and Tice, they they were able to make some stuff happen, and we were seeing more of the defensive limitations. I think from Brunson and Ingram, and um, even like Paolo in the pick and roll and, and kind of the post. You know, so all these guys are trying to come together. You know, in a slightly different role than maybe they have on their main teams. And what's really encouraging and exciting is to see Austin do some of the things that we know and love him for, and he's getting a little bit more on ball touches than I was expecting. He's shooting the ball really, really well, uh, defending really well. So it's, it's awesome to see 
that he's able to go up against the kind of different style of in the FIBA basketball realm uh, with new players, new coaches, new scheme. And he's, he's sliding right in, you know, hand in glove. Yeah, absolutely. And he was, let's see, one, two, three, fourth, fifth on the team in minutes this past game. He did not start the game. He ended up closing the game. And I, I just think he's the kind of guy that fits so well around whatever you want to do offensively or defensively in a way that is going to raise the ceiling and the floor for him with this team. And over time, as he builds that chemistry, and we're already seeing that start with a couple guys, you know, they're, they're realizing how well he can play and how easy it is to have him in there, no matter what they're doing. There's, you know, going back to like Brunson and Halliburton, if you are facing teams that want to be, want to be running off screen stuff, Halliburton really struggles with that. Brunson's actually decent. Reeves is really good. Um, some of these guys, you know, can navigate off ball screens. Other guys, not so much. If you want to be switching, Reeves is getting valuable reps doing that. And he's battling his ass off down low, pre-catch in the post and boxing out and all those little things that I think translate over to the NBA for, to, to, to the Lakers if they want to switch a little bit more this year. But he's showing he can do that. Some of those other guys can't. Uh, if you need him on ball defending an ISO, you know, Dennis Schroeder was cooking everybody, it seemed like, but he battled hard. And for the most part, he's been able to stay in front pretty well, regardless of who he's facing. You can't say that about everybody on this team. Ball screen navigation, he's strong there. You can't say that about everybody. So defensively, he's just so easy to put in there as your like point of attack guy or more in an off-ball role. And then offensively, to your point, he's getting those on-ball reps. Like we've seen plenty of him off-ball, catching and shooting, and he shot the hell out of the ball. But he's also been able to cook on ball in ways that we're familiar with, where it's ball screens, it's catch and attack a closeout, and then draw contact and finish at the rim or, you know, at least get up some good shots. Uh, he's certainly carried over that foul drawing ability and he'll, you know, he'll bait guys, but he'll end up getting good shots off of it. And did you see that uh, layup he had at the rim? He didn't end up converting on it, but it was like a almost like a 180 over his back attempt he drew the foul dude it was just some crazy crazy flair that he almost converted on he's shown me a lot more creative creativity i think than i like i think i can see and and this will take us kind of into our first questions here in the mailbag with austin and team usa focus but i you know that little behind the back has he you know um drive to the the bucket and one he had too that's it, a little bit more creativity and, and more methodical pacing um, than I've seen in, in not like he can't do it. It's just stringing like four five, six things into uh, getting the bump, getting the foul call. It, I, I see him evolving in front of our eyes um, even more, even though it's subtle uh, and he's still doing the things he's skilled at. He's, he seems to me at least to be getting better at them, Tim. So I, I want to mm -hmm. start with this. Uh, are you seeing Reeves getting any any new or more ball handling reps with Team USA? And if yes, does that make D'Lo more expendable to trade for a useful player? So I, I will, we'll start with the, the first part of this. He has run point a bit. He's gotten some pick and roll reps. He's gotten some ISO reps as well. I wouldn't say it's new. Like we've seen him do this. And I would also say that his role has been split between on ball and off ball, similar to what we've seen with the Lakers. So I don't know that it's, and, and maybe you're seeing something I'm not, but it, that piece of it, it's valuable. I think those reps are valuable. I wouldn't necessarily say they're 
you know, it, it, anything novel is, is taking place there in terms of the environment in which he's put in. Uh, within those situations, I think he certainly showcased that he's capable. He's able to not just make one move and then hope the ball goes in, but he's able to the string and stack moves on under control in a way that like you can tell the game slowed down for him and he's not rushed. He's not hurried. He's able to, you know, put the hezzy on, then drive. And then as you recover, spin off of you, draw the foul and then put up a real shot or we're seeing him attack. And then as he draws the help, find guys under the rim, cutting, you know, not just stationary players, but he found Paolo on a nice drive that he made with Paolo cutting from the corner you know, pinpoint pass under the rim for an easy, easy layup. So both as a scorer and as a passer, drawing fouls or not drawing fouls, we're seeing him get more more of those reps, and I think that's valuable. Now, I would I, this to the second part of this, does it make D'Lo more expendable to trade for a useful player? I, I think I'll push back on the trading D'Lo for a useful player verbiage here as if he wasn't useful. Like, D'Lo's a good player. I, I think D'Lo is a guy that, makes sense for this team. He pairs well with Reeves on ball, off ball. Either of these guys can play off of each other. And I think, you know, similar to Halliburton, we can see some of that chemistry develop with the more reps those guys get. He's got playmaking. He's got three-point shooting off ball and as an on-ball guy, which I think that piece is the one, you know, the one key thing that we didn't quite see in that small sample as a Laker that we know he's going to be better than. Than, than what he showed us he's been that way for years and years and years as a laker and not as a laker so it's not like this is his first time playing in la and all of a sudden he can't shoot like he's he's been able to shoot before i think we'll see him shoot again and we actually we built a new uh talent model at b-ball index we use this for, for consulting now where we can look and see how skilled you are in various elements like just super high level like your three-point shooting your finishing your playmaking your you know your your mid-range pull-up shooting things like that how impactful should you be based on how you have performed in those areas compared to how impactful have you been? And for Dilo's career, he's been a just about like 0.2 points off of our expectation. So pretty much he's been what he should be. This past season, his offensive impact was like a point and a half per hundred possessions below the expectation. He was a bottom five optimized point guard in the or guard in general in the NBA. And he ended up having fringe top 30 offensive impact among point guards, but he was a top 15 talented point guard on offense. And that's prior season. He was a top 15 impact point guard on offense. So he's good. He's better than we saw. Have some patience with him. I don't think trading him away is a solution. And I think, you know, for this team to reach their potential, seeing him just be himself and play like we know he can play makes the most sense to me. So. I I think while, yes, Reeves doing these things is good and it makes it easier, I think really where I see this more impactful is Reeves with uh, Gabe Vincent. Now we can have Gabe Vincent more as your off-ball guard and Reeves more as your on-ball guard when those two are paired together. We know when D'Lo's out there, he can be on-ball just fine. Um, he can play off-ball too, but Vincent is someone that, yeah, he might be a point guard, I guess, technically, but he's not quite the same pick-and-roll guy or playmaker that Reeves is. and this growth from Reeves here and these extra reps, I think, just help widen that gap and better prepare him for those situations. And same thing if he were to be with Max Christie in a backcourt. We want Reeves to be able to be that point guard. So he, I, I don't think D'Lo is the guy you want to kick out of town. 
because uh, he and Reeves, I think, are your top two like lead guard candidates. And this is more about being able to show that Reeves can play alongside a Gabe Vincent or a Max Christie, and you can still have the adequate ball handling, pick and roll play, passing, shot creation, rim pressure that he's showing us that he can do here with Team USA. Uh, to be totally fair, I did not read the, the question in the same kind of context that you did, implying that D'Lo is not useful, rather that Austin developing skills that are useful um, makes D'Lo expendable because you have those skills now, you know, in another player. Now, I would say you can't have too much shooting on a team around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and D'Lo offers more than that, right? He has good playmaking. He's a good shooter. Um, and I think he's going to give you more value, most likely. And I think where the question is coming from, and, and I could be wrong, but I, I, just the way I read it was, you know, if you have Austin develop these skills, you have him locked up a little bit more long term. Um, what is the best thing you could get back that could maybe raise the ceiling? And that's where I start to kind of do disagree with the premise where I don't think what D'Lo could bring back in a trade would probably be better than what D'Lo himself can bring. Do you, do you think that mm -hmm. that's true? I, I would agree with your stance there. Like if you remove D'Lo from the roster and just think about what's left, like you're severely lacking playmaking. If, if it's like Reeves and LeBron are your only like guys that you trust on ball to, to, you know, pass you're, you're missing that pull up three point shooting. That is a big element that D'Lo provides. Like th those are key to pick and roll play. You take a big step back in several key areas. And if you want to bring someone back that you're trading him out for, you're bringing back a similar kind of guy, I think. Like, I don't think if you remove that guard and you replace him with like a three and D wing, I still think this team is lacking a lot of pick and roll play and just ball handling and playmaking in general. So I, I really struggle to see a scenario in which D'Lo returns a guy that you know, makes a lot of sense there. I think you're, you're, you'd want to be getting back what you're in theory sending out. And yeah. I think just the idea of selling low on him, because we, we were seeing him come off a stint where he couldn't hit a pull up three to save his life yet still was drawing hedges and, and, you know, pulling teams out of drop when D is able to hit those threes, it is going to light up the scoreboard with lobs to AD and open things up so much. And I think too, another part of this, another aspect is, Yes, Reeves is at a level where he can play point guard. But I would argue that the if you compare him as a two alongside a point guard, the excess value he provides as like you've got two point guard caliber guys on the court from a ball handling, pick and roll, shooting, playmaking standpoint, like that is awesome. And that's the kind of thing we're seeing with him in Halliburton, where it doesn't matter who's on ball. You can make things work and both in waves and it really, really helps things out. It's not like we need every play to be with this guy on ball and this guy off ball because it really limits what you're able to do. That's the kind of I'm not saying D'Lo is Halliburton, but that's the kind of pairing I think that that Reeves as a two alongside D'Angelo Russell can bring to the table that should be incredibly effective. And it's something I don't want to completely throw out now. If Reeves needs to play point, he can play point, but don't throw out the other points just to get him out there because he's still going to play plenty, and I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity regardless of if Russell's on the roster or not.
Well, there you go. Hopefully we answered uh, your question two ways. Hopefully one of those is what you were, uh, what you were asking. Um, Moving on to the next one. What would you want to see Reeves develop while he's with uh, Team USA? That's a good question. I've thought a lot about this because he's going to get similar usage offensively. He's going to see some ball screens. He's going to play as a spot up guy. Uh, You know, if I'm going to pinpoint specific areas, I think several of them are on defense, but the one on offense that I would like to see, and I don't think we've quite gotten a glimpse of it yet. Maybe I'm just blanking on, on specific examples, but with his pick and roll game, something that I think would add an extra level of effectiveness would be if he can be a more willing pull-up shooter against drop coverage. If he can add more of a pull-up three-point game, and he already crushes drop, but that ability to pull defenses out of drop, I think is really valuable as we look to generate, you know, numbers advantages where both LeBron and AD are off ball attacking in a 3v2 or a 4v3. That's the kind of thing that I think, you know, that extra on ball gravity can really open things up for the rest of the team. So offensively, I think that's what I'm looking for. I've got a couple on defense, but Tom, any any other things on offense you think you'd like to see him develop? I mean, back to the previous question, we've seen him kind of, you know, get get more reps on ball and the pick and roll. Uh, just being able to run the pick and roll with different kinds of players. You know what I mean? Lakers haven't had the most diverse kind of role men. Uh, having a guy like Paolo, having these mm-hmm. dynamic athletes who are cutting from wings, like you mentioned, that that nice dish he had. That, that's kind of a creative read. Um, so they're giving him more reads. So being able to kind of diversify the kinds of reads that he's able to make because he's on a new team with new talent. Uh, and I think that you know, over the years, you know, roster is going to overturn more than it probably has in years past. Um, may, maybe not for the next couple of years, but hopefully Reeves is on the team for a long time and uh, being able to develop those different skill sets um, throughout the pick and roll, hitting the guy on a pop, which you know, Lakers don't run very often. So just little stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and along those same lines about developing other skill sets and being versatile, turning to defense, he's getting more reps in a switching defense. Not all the time, but this team throughout their how many games have they played so far? Like four or five games. He he's gotten he's had opportunities to run a switch scheme and have to battle down low. And throughout his first two seasons in the NBA, his defensive positional versatility. This is just how balanced his percentage of guarding, you know, ones versus twos versus threes versus fours versus fives. He had a C minus grade this rookie year and then a D minus this past year. This isn't necessarily capability, but this is his usage. That is something I think will need to go up. And I think LA's built a roster that is much more capable to be switchy. And he's one of those dudes that kind of needs to prove that out a little bit more. Like, yeah, I feel pretty good. Like LeBron could be switchy. Rui could be switchy. AD we know could be switchy. Jackson Hayes, we've seen him be very switchy. Prince has been switchy. Like uh, Vincent's been, like a lot of these guys have been used in switchy defenses and have done well. Reeves we haven't seen used in a switchy defense in, you know, on any sort of real volume. So this is a good opportunity for him to practice that and get better at that and be next to some top-tier coaches as they're breaking his game down and helping him improve. And I'm seeing him do pretty well so far. I, I, we're seeing him battle in the post pre-catch if he switched onto a big. We, you know, we're seeing some scram switches and things like that. But when he has to hold his own, he's doing he's doing decently. Like he's using his lower body well in terms of 
like even when he does allow a post entry kind of holding his ground and making you have to hit like a, a five foot hook shot instead of a two foot hook shot. That makes a difference. Not fouling in those situations makes a difference. Allowing help defense to play help defense instead of saying like, I, the shorter guy has to stop the play right now. There's a, there's a degree of discipline that enables effectiveness in the right situations. Just play the numbers. And he's shown some of that, but he's also battling a lot pre-catch. And the other thing is uh, along with this is I'm seeing him box out quite a bit and box out effectively. Like he's putting up, he's hitting dudes and he is doing a pretty good job of holding his man away from being able to get the boards, regardless of if it's another guard or it's a wing or it's a big Hudson does well. This is not something Halliburton does well. Dude, Halliburton's defensive film was killing me today. Uh, rewatching like how often he's getting lost off ball, but Reeves is so noticeable on the film in terms of his boxing out and, this is an area of growth for him. We did not see him have much of a defensive rebounding presence. He doesn't have a ton of boards defensively so far in these games, but those tendencies, those habits of being willing to do those little things. And I think on this team, I mean, in general, he's a little things guy, but on this team USA team, he's, he's a little bit even more of that little things guy and he's doing well with that. So those elements I think make sense for what the future of the Lakers defense might look like if we're reading the tea leaves correctly about what their roster moves may mean. And then the last thing I'd say is his defensive playmaking. If he can develop that, that would be big. You know, that'd be really big for him. He's been very effective in terms of screen navigation and staying in front and suppressing opponents, but he's not picking pockets. He's not jumping passing lanes at high rates. We saw him get a couple steals, uh, I think against Germany, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two steals against Germany. He had a couple steals earlier in one of the other games. He's gotten some deflections. And that extra element of turning defense to offense and just completely ending possessions rather than just forcing the defense to take a tough shot, that would be tremendously valuable. And it's something that, like, frankly, he was not good at this past year. It was looking at his, like, B-ball index grades. It's like A's and A-minuses and A-pluses for his screen navigation and his ISO defense. But the defensive playmaking was like D's and F's. And if he can get that stuff up to even just C level, I think that'd be really valuable. If it could be an asset for him, all of a sudden he becomes a different caliber of a defensive player. So that's what I'd like to see him develop. And we're already starting to see some of these. The pull-up pick-and-roll shooting TBD, hopefully we see it. If not, he's still pretty good against drop. But uh, defensively, I think we're we're ready to see him take a jump this upcoming season, which which is a scary thing because offensively he's already grown a lot as well. This is that these games are games for the team to kind of figure itself out and tactics in each of those games was different and were different. And I think we're seeing shifts in rotation minutes as, and we saw part of this, you know, based on the stints replayed, that wasn't the plan for, for them to have him play. 18 minutes like he played. It was an in-game, oh, crap, this guy needs to be out there a little bit more. This is what we're going to do instead sort of situation. I, part of the rotation thing is just the team kind of sorting itself out and going from their default starting point to trying to figure out the best version of themselves. And I don't think that's game plan specific. From a set play standpoint, they're also still just kind of developing things. And I haven't seen him used within specific sets in any any, I don't know, unique or spectacular ways. Like he's running ball screens. He's operating off ball a lot. I would say between the Greece and the Germany games, at least without, I mean, these games aren't on like synergy. Like I've DVR'd some of them, but I haven't 
been able to, you know, review all of the info with like a fine tooth comb the way I normally would for NBA games. I have not noticed big differences that I would say are a result of game planning between those two games in terms of his usage or his, his role. I think kind of based on who you're in, and I would say game planning wise, you're focused more on defense than offense with some of these teams. Like there might be guys who say, all right, well, we're going to go attack that player in their weak defense. But for the most part, it's like, all right, well, how are we going to defend the sets Greece runs? How are we going to defend the ball screens that Germany runs? And We've seen him deployed as a chaser a lot of times and sometimes point of attack. And I think it makes sense because you've got a couple guards that lead guards that aren't quite point of attack defenders. And I don't think that was, you know, matchup specific too much. So I don't know. I guess I'd say no, but I will leave it open to, you know, I, I think there are elements of this where it's just like he's fighting for playing time. He's fighting to increase his role and he's proving himself. And the team is adjusting as a result of that. They're they're you know react they're responding to what they're seeing in a way that is encouraging to me because it means like yeah this stuff does matter. You are truly fighting for this playing time. It's not like we're going to run out the same rotation and the same tactics and the same roles and the same sets every game no matter what. So that's good. I like that. I don't think that like the way that Lou game plan for a game meant different things for Austin than uh, Spolstra game planning for a game. Obviously, the caliber of coaches are doing it, but you know, yeah. you're not going to have the same scout kind of looking at every team every every week, or you know, every game every week. Yeah. You, so from a, I guess with the Lakers, I, I don't know which. I should probably just ask. I don't know which way they do it. Teams will generally either have like coaches take turns, or they will say, "All right, Tom, you're going to handle these four teams. These, I don't know. You're responsible for these five teams. Tim, you do these five teams. You know, Austin, you do these five teams, and then you just stay up to date on those specific teams. And then when it comes around to the time of the calendar when you got to play them, you're right. responsible. Uh, I don't know which one they do, but yeah, that that sort of you know the game plan isn't set by the same person every game. That's a normal thing, and you know that's where that's the starting point." They still have to run that through the coaching staff and then they'll, you know, add their insights and come up with the more refined finalized game plan and then present it to the players. And then even from there, a a certain player might see something that that helps the team tweak things. So it's never just one person, but that one person kind of owns it, has responsibility at the start. Rereading the question, I think I may have missed a little bit of the intent. Is there anything from how he's been deployed that could yield insights for how we might see him use this upcoming season? nothing I mean nothing different like he's going to get some ball screen reps he's defensively he can play whatever role you need him to play between point of attack or chaser I don't think that's new or different or particularly insightful but that's all I've noticed watching live and having rewatched about a third of these games one time not with synergy clips so this isn't this isn't Tim at his at the peak of his powers yeah, I gotta try and get a login from the Knicks to to try and get these, uh, these Team USA games. That's a joke. If anybody didn't hear, the Knicks are basically suing the Raptors for sharing Synergy login with an employee. It's pretty yeah. funny. Um, That's why I was out of the. I was in court for the past week uh, trying to trying to beat the charges. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's a it's a public matter now. It's it's in the public, so. You know, 
you can you can say those so things. Funny. It's, it's so really, funny. It's really, really funny. So they stole, <laughs> they, they sent synergy clips. They took some scouting reports. What else did they take? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that was, that was like it, right? Who was moving from the Knicks to the Raptors mm-hmm. and basically was like sending his work to his personal email. Mm. Yeah. Um, He's like, I took which, these notes on the Lakers. I'm going to keep these notes I took on the Lakers. That's why it's so funny. It's just like, Dude, you could probably find a lot of this stuff online for free. Like, there's a Raptors film person out there somewhere who's doing deep dives. There's all 30 teams seemingly have like very smart basketball people who, I don't know. It's just really funny to me that they're all, it's the most boomer NBA shit of all time. <laughs> it's, it's really good. <laughs> uh, moving anyway. on. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a quick one. Last one for Team USA. We'll take a little break, do some Lakers questions. Um, but Chip England, uh, OKC assistant and famed uh, you know, shooting coach, is apparently a traveling consultant for Team USA, given his reputation as a shooting coach and Reeves' strong shooting percentages through the first five exhibition games. Is Reeves doing anything different in his form or mechanics of Team USA versus what he was doing with the Lakers? I also ha- I haven't seen anything particularly different. I do think there's a level of confidence with some of the, the mid-rangers he's taken especially in the first couple games but that's not really mechanics that's just more confidence like i can take this shot and not get yelled at kind of stuff um so yeah have you seen anything kind of mechanically different from him i am not a shot form expert i am an in informed shot form critic i i guess i'll say in terms of like i know some of the things i'd be looking for and I mean, I, I found video of him shooting with LA and then with USA and just kind of slow motion side by side. What does it look like? The form looked exactly the same from from what I see. I did, certainly didn't look at every shot. And I'm sure there's a little bit of variance shot to shot. Um, but I didn't see any big differences. The one thing that did look different was uh, his release was a bit quicker. And maybe, again, I, I got to I maybe get a larger sample here. But it looked as though his release was a little bit quicker which is important if the form is exactly the same and you know the the arc is the same and the the you know the angle the ball gets the rims all the same you know all that's fine and good if you can shoot quicker at the same skill level what that means is you're going to be slightly more open on the shots that you're taking which will mean you're more effective so if his form doesn't change change at all but it's quicker that's good and I guess I need to see a little bit more. Um, again, this would be great if if this stuff were on Synergy, so I could just look at all of his all of his threes in like two minutes instead of trying to go through entire games of film to try to find his threes. But that I guess is the one thing that I have noticed. But I wouldn't say is definitive just because the sample's been small. All right, uh, so that's a good little forty-five kind of minute pod of itself on Team USA and Austin. So. Let's take a quick break and we'll hit some um, some Lakers questions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, starting with Jackson Hayes, Tim. We have this question here. Can you talk about what the data says regarding the possibility of Hayes as being a stretch big? There was a tweet a while back mentioning a brief stretch at the end of 21-22, around 15-16 games, where he averaged around one made three per 36, 27 minutes per game. Uh, per 36, he averaged about 27 minutes per game. I think that was when he started as a four alongside Valanciunas. So uh, Jackson Hayes talked a lot about his kind of role, how we might see him change. I personally think we will not see him stretch the floor maybe maybe through preseason i uh, i i don't know i'm i'm a little bit more skeptical about this tim especially considering it was two years ago and if maybe he had developed that a little bit more yeah we've talked about how he'd been thrown in a blender in terms of his role and bounced around and maybe not given the right kind of consistency to grow within what he's good at but i I took a little look at some of his shots, and I I personally don't see it, but I'm open to being wrong. What what do you think? Yeah, I also don't see it. I I was able to find the tweet and see what it was talking about, and it had to do with yeah, two years ago he shot 35% on his threes, 20 makes on 57 attempts for a full season. It's not high volume, and and there within that sample. There was an even smaller sample where he hit 13 of 31 shots of 42% over 24 games. So he was making, what what is that, 13 in 24. So that is a little over half of a three a game. There's not much volume there. And I would venture to guess, I wish there was a tool where you could do this. There's probably, there might be a tool where you could do this, where you could you know say, how many players in the NBA this season can you find a, a stretch of 30 shots where they shot 42% on their threes. And like, you'd probably be like, Oh, you know, most of them. <laughs> and like, that would speak to the the high degree of variance that we tend to see with three point shooting. I am very, very, very skeptical of taking a 30 shot sample or a less than 60 shot sample. And from two years ago, again, and trying to say like, Oh, like this is what he'll be. It's not like he wasn't, I, I mean, and some of the wording in this tweet is like he wasn't allowed to shoot threes or he may not be allowed to shoot threes. He's played in the NBA for a number of seasons. If he could hit these, the team would be having him shoot these. He's he's played alongside exactly. centers quite a bit. It's not like this is – there's no strategy behind having him not space the floor if he can space the floor. So you yeah. have to imagine this was explored. It's not like this is a – newfound thing where it was like a a big man that's never shot threes before that's played you know it's not it's not brooke lopez where he just hadn't been shooting and then all of a sudden oh maybe he can do this like this is a guy who on and off has taken some threes here or there tiny sample i remember we looked through thomas bryant and it was like yeah he shot okay the data doesn't trust it the sample's too small the darko three-point true skill projections don't trust it 
And Hayes is about that same level, 28.5%, three, uh, true three-point shooting percentage for him with the darker projections that look at, you know, every player averaged about and how their, how their shooting has progressed based on their volume and their games played and their minutes and all that. The, our B-ball index data doesn't buy it. That Darko data doesn't buy it. I just, I don't see there being any gravity if he's shooting this number of threes in the form doesn't like, I, it doesn't stick out to me on a film as like, Oh yeah, obviously this guy's like a really good three point shooter. He just hasn't tried. So I'm, I'm, I'm approaching this with a high degree of skepticism. Yeah. It's not like Phil Jackson, not allowing Andrew Barnum to shoot threes or something. Um, if Willie Green thought this would help the team, there's no doubt they'd be doing it. And I have a feeling that, you know, after the what uh, New Orleans did with those picks, uh, you know, trading, they got that four pick from L.A. for Anthony Davis as part of that package. They traded back for eight and ten. And I have to imagine, based on having a very clumsy roster, at least in terms of, you know, trying to get the most out of Jackson Hayes, it was a stopgap to try and make it work with Valanchunas to begin with, right? So trying to Mm -hmm. fit the square peg in the round hole kind of thing. And at least with Brooke Lopez, like he was a big post scorer, but he was hitting fadeaway 15 footers. He had touch. Uh, He was a good free throw shooter. So to me, there's a lot more kind of, you know, reason behind why it makes sense that Brooke could develop that skill and push his range out with Hayes. I don't see really any of those things. Yeah, I I think the, that element is something that that does matter for this. Like generally you don't just start from three, like you might have such game and that's something that extends over time. And that hasn't quite been his thing. He's not a good free throw shooter, which I, I'm from, from the studies I've seen, isn't like the biggest indicator of three point shooting, but is an indicator of three point shooting. Fairly strong. Yeah. It's not like a hundred percent. It's yeah. Fairly strong correlation. Right. And he's like just above 70% for his career there. And, you know, that's not, that's not ideal. So this would be something that could be useful. Like he was, he was eight for 14 on his floater this past year. Like that's pretty good. The volume's not there. If, If that volume can, you know, increase maybe longer term, there's some potential with this, but like he wasn't even a good jump shooter, even a little bit this past season. And he tried some. So from three and from two, So I just, I don't know, man, like this is going to happen. We're going to keep, we're going to have the same conversation every year, I think. And I'm not keeping score or trying to, you know, rub in people's faces when I get things right. I know people like to do that when I do get things wrong. Um, But this does not profile like a situation where I would be willing to bet any amount of money that this, this pans out. That said, I wouldn't be surprised if you do see it in the preseason, just kind of why not? They should try. Yeah. yeah. Like it, trying in like like practice. Like it's right. if we don't see it in preseason, that doesn't mean they haven't tried. Like the, they're gonna make him shoot a bunch of jumpers, try to work, see if something's there. And if he's able to hit them, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of reps, uh hundreds of reps, thousands of reps, then you know, maybe we if it's if it looks good, then they'll they'll give it a try in preseason. If he's bricking those in practice, we're not gonna see it in preseason, I don't think. So if we do see him attempting some, that means that there's some degree of proficiency that he's displaying behind the scenes. And that's a good thing to me. So if he's allowed to shoot threes, 
maybe there's 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 a pulse there and that might be something to work with it now it would be very helpful because we have heard Rob Polinka talk about you know that Hayes AD combo getting getting back to that you know bigger lineup grouping and one of the ways you make that work better is if AD can suddenly shoot better or if Hayes can can be a better jump shooter so this would certainly solve some possible big problems that possible configurations for this team may have uh, or would have. So it would be, this would matter if this were true, this would be really helpful. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if he can develop a a reasonable percentage and, and they can develop this like really switchy lineup that can, you know, be still pretty, at least mediocre on offense with spacing. It's just, he has to get to a point that's, the gravity is there, not just that he's making the shots because mm. he's not going to get yeah. five to seven shots a game, right? Um, it's just not going to happen. Threes, I mean, you know, yeah. not total shots. So if yeah. he's not getting the gravity, you know, his 35% on three attempts a game doesn't do it for you. It's still clogging up the offense and the spacing. Mm-hmm. And and he hasn't even been, like, from an attempt standpoint, It's it's been low, like... Yeah, we're talking about his his like makes per seventy five possessions peaked at like half a, a made shot. Um, so that's like every two games of starter minutes he'd hit one three basically, and he's not going to get starter minutes. So it might be like once a week he hits a three, which isn't <laughs> it, that doesn't really help because it's not that we need three point. That's Jared Vanderbilt. We job. need him to. Yeah. <laughs> I have more confidence <laughs> in Vanderbilt than Hayes for sure with the three point shooting. We need him to be able to shoot well and at enough volume that you have to you can't just stand next to the rim as a big man and clock things up, especially if if LeBron doesn't have his like full mobility. So yeah, that let me pull up his off ball gravity really quick. Let's see here. Season percentile. These are our people index data. I'm gonna guess like five. Let's see. Oh, 10th percentile. Hell yeah. Um, that's not good. Nice. That's an F. But could be know, worse. Maybe. Could be worse. Yeah. Just barely. All right. Let's move on. Um, we got uh, what two non-LeBron wings would best fit in a bigger lineup with AD and Hayes front court and Reeves at point? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure this lineup construction would exist if the Lakers are planning to start Hayes, but let's uh let's entertain it nonetheless i i think prince is kind of like an automatic one for me because of the shooting but i think that there's an there's different ways you could go and argue with this um but what what do you think i think prince for sure i love max and i i want to see him get that shot and uh yeah my my stance remains the same don't want to put too much on on his plate too fast but uh rui prince uh christy yeah, Vincent, I mean. Yeah. So I, I think, and and maybe I'm misinterpreting, but I believe part of their intent would be like just more size. And and he says two wings, I think, meaning like, like I don't think D'Lo or Vincent or like JHS would be in consideration. I think it would be like between like Christy, Rui, Prince, uh, Reddish. Vanderbilt. I don't think you can put Vando out there unless his three point games takes a big jump. Just just with the AD Hayes front court. 
I think you've got to put Prince in there because of the three-point shooting. And then now, if again, if this is bit, you know bigger lineup, you could go Reeves, Prince, Rui, A.D. Hayes, and that's a pretty big group. And Prince kind of defended as a two-guard this past season, interestingly. That could work. Or you could go uh, Reeves, Christie, Prince, A.D. Hayes. I think at this point, we trust Rui more than Christie. I think positionally, do we do we like Prince guarding twos? I guess is the potentially worrisome part. But I think a way to Christy maybe think about be is, like, is this, is this switchy? Is well, oh yeah, I guess. Is the goal here to you know, craft a bigger lineup and to like use size as being a you know a strength in this lineup? Because I think so. Christie, yeah, Christie is 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 not undersized, but he's slight. You know, he's not. It's physical mm-hmm. of a guy. And the same can be said for Prince. Um, and Rui is a much more physical player than both of them. So I feel like Rui then would have to be in there. Um, and yeah, I think I think Rui and Prince probably makes the most, or, or Rui and Christie, because both Christie and Prince, to me, still has a little bit less physical and position on their positions. Uh, to kind of bring you some of the benefits of playing that that bully ball style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's just, it, hey, is Rui hitting threes like, you know, well, or is he not hitting threes well? Because if he's not hitting threes well, then that becomes challenging with AD and Hayes out there also. But, uh, you know, assuming he's able to be, you know, have a level three-point proficiency, yeah, getting him out there I think makes sense uh, along with the premise here. If, if we're just trying to be a larger group, maybe it's a large switchy group. Perhaps, uh, in which case, yeah, I think like Rui, Prince, because then I'm not worried about like chaser defense. So yeah, I think Reeves, Prince, Rui, AD Hayes would be an interesting group. You don't have a lot of ball handling. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, Prince is a decent ball mover, but I think from a playmaker, I mean, when when you've got LeBron and uh, D'Lo both sitting, I, I think that certainly caps. And, you know, no matter what you're going to do with the rest of the line, that caps your playmaking. But yeah, yeah I'm, I think Reeves, Prince, Rui, AD Hayes. I agree with that. If we're under, if we're, if we, if we're understanding what they're going for, I think Vanderbilt being in there is probably a little bit more likely for me, at least in this particular lineup, um, based on some of the rotation patterns. Lord have mercy! With, are you the shooting, Tom? The shooting. Are you taking Hayes out for Vanderbilt? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, never, never mind. I thought you were going to have Vando out there with, with Hayes and Anthony Look, Davis. I mean, we still haven't made our, our Vando three-point bet. We'll get to that, I'm sure, in September with some uh, some predictions uh, pods. But I can see Vando being slightly improved in three, but not really to to the point where the gravity is is changing the, the geometry of the court. Um, but Vando offers you something that that size and, and that wing stop and ability that you know, I, I want to see from Rui, but I feel more confident in Vando right now mm-hmm. in that particular sure. skill set, which would be, you know, being able to impose and be bigger at, you know, each size, each position. Um, I also find it hard to see lineups where Vincent, D'Lo and LeBron are all sitting like simultaneously. But I, I don't think it's crazy to think Austin could get run i just think 
you know, Vincent might be next to him, kind of them them flipping their roles offensively and defensively. Well, maybe let, let's go to this next question. Speaking of Vincent D'Lo and LeBron, what wing would you fit with a D'Lo, Vincent, and Reeves three-guard lineup with LeBron at center? Sorry, I got to read that again. What wing would best fit with a D'Lo, Vincent, and Reeves three-guard lineup with LeBron at center? So um, no AD, no Hayes. They're, they're bigs. We're saying LeBron's at center. So get, well, pick probably, a wing. Yeah, it's probably Rui because uh, the size and I think some more shooting to be able to space him out there. You know mm-hmm. what, though? I I wouldn't hate Vando. I was just thinking that same thing because you can have him as a role man, as a short role operator. You know, he adds some solid defense. I I think that that or Rui, but both of them, I like the angles. I think if you go Rui, you use more of like Le, Rui is a spacer. LeBron is a, a screener. If you go with Vando, I think you can use Vando as a screener uh, a bit exactly. more. So I guess it depends on how you want to operate offensively. Defensively, between Rui and Vando kind of playing as a four, I would I think I'd rather have Vando. Or I'm sorry, I'd rather have Rui just with his I think his secondary room protection is a little bit better. His size on the board's a little bit more, but I I, I think both are strong options. All right. Ultimately, a D Vincent Reeves kind of three guard lineup to me is gonna have some defensive liabilities, kind of no matter how who you slide in there, just in terms of being a little bit smaller. Um, not really being able to to do as much, maybe I don't know, like do as much switching and mm-hmm. the help defense is going to be less impactful because it's likely going to be one of the guards. Um, and then Vando, not an amazing rim protector, I think a little bit better as a help guy. So I think there's some some real concerns there about uh, the defensive end. But if you want to play fast and in transition, I think you can make a case for Vando, play high upside. You know, steals, deflections, kind of uh, defense, gamble, and try to get up, up and down, mm-hmm. and you know, outscore teams. Basically, is that that lineup's path? Yeah, I think really you'd want to kind of tweak the premise a little and, and be able to throw Anthony Davis out there as well. Have that three guard lineup with LeBron and AD. Like I could see that group being, you know, AD out there alone really helps the defense, and then offensively, you now have an elite role man threat and you know, LeBron and AD out there with, with plenty of spacing. So uh, yeah, if you can change the premise just a little bit, I think that is a group that, I mean, we're going to see at some point, I don't know how good it'll be. I think it'll be very situational for when it is effective, but uh, yeah, to your point, the rotational ability of the group is limited with the size that you have out there. You could be in the right spot at the right time, but if, if you're small, it may not matter. And so that, that hurts you, but you, you, you know, with this group at that, with this group out there, you're thinking we just need to outscore you. We don't necessarily need to be locked down on right. defense. Yeah, it'll be a four to six minute run of that, you know, or less of that lineup. I could see, um, but then you've got your, you know, three of your main guards all all in there at once, and I think we're more likely to see them being staggered a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but really quick on this one, Tim, we did. What is your uh, ideal best five man lineup against the Nuggets with the current roster? So, uh, D'Lo Reeves, Bron Rui, AD, like I, uh, what? Who? 
the Nuggets have what? Murray. They've got Jokic at their five. Oh, yeah. KCP. Gordon. Gordon's out there. Who's their fifth starter then? Uh, I'm blanking as well. Um, is Christian Brown Porter. starter? Oh, oh. Oh, right. Of course. Michael Porter Jr. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, I don't know how I blank on him. Okay. Yeah, I did too. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that group. Like, yeah, exactly. Pretty you... much what they ran last year is kind of their their main. You know what I mean? I mean, Truder yeah. was in there more than than D'Lo probably toward the second half of that series. But do you feel better about D'Lo or you know or Vincent going up against Murray than than Reeves or you know? It's kind of how you want to cut those cross matchups. Yeah. So I guess like what would the, the potential changes to me could be Vincent in for I put Vincent in for D'Lo instead of Reeves. If you just want to say like we're gonna focus more on defense, we trust right. Reeves's ball handling and playmaking. We've got LeBron out there already. I think that is a change potentially. I think Reeves, Braun, and AD, they're kind of locked in. And then the Rui piece, you in theory could go Prince. Vando, I don't, I don't think a sane person right now today is saying Reddish is in that conversation. But if we're, if he's in the conversation, you know, by playoff time, some good things are happening. But I, I think it would be, is there value add to go Vando instead of Rui? I don't think so because I think I'd be using that similar Rui on Jokic tactic again. Uh, if you go Prince instead of him, you now need. LeBron to kind of body up on Gordon and AD to stick on Jokic. And I don't know if the value add is there offensively because I think you need that size on defense. But I do think, you know, Vincent, I think Prince, Vando, like those are guys that can play in that series. And I, it may not be that the starting five is all that different. If D'Lo is playing more like D'Lo instead of the shell of D'Lo we saw, that's super helpful. And then I think your depth is just much improved from from last time around, and that's that's important over you know hopefully a long series of forty eight minutes a game. Yeah, well, fortunately, you know Denver got a little bit less deep than they were last season, um, which is something I I think helps the Lakers. I think Lakers are deeper, so these yeah. lineups are exactly the same, you know, as what they were in May, but. I think ultimately more time together, you know, built in some some more chemistry, some maybe some more development from Reeves and, and Rui and uh and just more adjustments that you know you can you have more uh film on tape about how these guys mm-hmm. work. And you know, we've said it before that Lakers lost in four, but uh, there were some some competitive four games. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we, won't, we don't need to rehash the whole thing, but yeah. they, they certainly found things that worked and there were things that they found defensively that worked against what Denver was doing. I don't think they pressed the right buttons enough, but I also think there was a big element of like shot making for Denver really took over. Like the, the amount of overperformance Denver had and versus the underperformance LA had on the quality of shots generated. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like over four games, LA lost by like 28 points or something total. And the shot making difference was around like 27, 28 points. So it was like, we basically played him even and things broke in like the perfect way to somehow lose all four of those games. 
so I think, you know, understanding that it was closer than 4-0 and then them getting less deep and then you getting more deep and then hopefully learning from last time around and pressing the right buttons a little bit earlier and with more frequency, I, you know, I, I'm not going into the season saying, like, we don't have a shot against these guys. Like, I, I think Ellie would have a shot against them for sure. For sure. Um, all right, we got a couple more here, and we'll wrap it up. We got this one about Max Christie. How realistic? How realistic is it that Max Christie could see real minutes this year? Could he supplant Reddish as the backup too? Now, I I don't know if I, there's anything I have like structured, like foundationally to base this off of, but I, I almost feel like he is already above Reddish. But I might be. Am I crazy about that, or is this kind of like my my hype about Christie? No, I'm with you. I, I think, and you know, you are. There's varying degrees of familiarity between Christie and what he brings to the table, and then Reddish and what he brings to the table, and what we hope from each of these guys, what we expect from a growth standpoint. Like, I expect heading into camp, uh, Christie's ahead of Reddish in the depth chart. I expect that you know, regular season game one, Christie is in that backup two guard spot, and Reddish is not in the regular rotation. I'm very open to the idea of Reddish making some growth, building on some growth he's had over the past couple seasons and, and working his way into that group. And I think that would be very valuable because if he can be a 3D player, like that rocks. And that's that's good. He has not shown an ability to consistently do that. And positionally, I think he's I think he's more of a three than a two. And that's where I think Max is more of a two than a three with his with his frame being what it is. He's set up well. Where if we look at, you know, position by position, you've got D'Lo and Vincent as your ones. You've got Reeves, who could certainly handle the ball and, and, and play point guard. But Reeves is a two. And then Christie's kind of that next guy up. And then, at the, you know, between LeBron, Rui, Vando, Prince, AD, Hayes, and if they sign another center, like you've got three, four, and five figured out. And maybe, I may have even forgotten the guy. Um, but I think... I think Reddish is going to be fighting for more of those three and four position positional minutes more than he will be with like Reeves and, and Prince at the two. There's definitely a world where I can see uh, Reddish in the opening season lineup, but I think that's more of a function of them just seeing what they have and, and playing a lot more guys earlier in, in October, the first couple of weeks. And then by November, by the in-season tournament, you know, you there's a rhythm to some of these decisions, right? You kind of find who it's working. Um, you know, you light a fire on the guys who aren't getting minutes to, hey, improve this. We maybe get you some more time on the court, work on this, show it to us in practice, you know, that, that you're willing to put the time in and put the work in. Uh, and then injuries too, right? Um, but injuries notwithstanding, I do feel like Reddish will at least get, you know, a 10-minute chance of a couple shifts. Uh, or in the first few weeks of the season. He's going to get an opportunity. It, it may be because he's earned it over certain guys. It may be because the coaching staff wants to just make sure he has a real chance at some point, at some point in the season, or it may be due to injuries. He's going to get a shot. And how much growth he's able to, to make from what he was last season, how much he's, you know, how hard he's working, how well things piece together, how much things click into place working with his coaching staff and how ready he keeps himself will be really important. He might get his opportunity game one. He might get his opportunity game 30 or 50. If he's only ready from games one to 20 and then checks out and he doesn't get his chance until game 50, 
he's not going to, he's not going to matter. He's got to be able to be ready and, and work day in and day out and be ready for that opportunity. And, you know, try to force the coaching staff's hand, get, you know, fight for those minutes and, and get out there and raise the bar. And that's what we want to see. No idea what we're going to see, but I think there's certainly enough talent with, with him that it, all he needs is a thing or two to, to fall into place for him to be someone that I can see making sense in a rotation for this team. For sure. All right. And the last one here, we did have a couple of small free agent signings over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, your boy Moses Brown picked up by the Blazers. Sorry, he's off off, off the block, Tim. Ah. But I, we weren't even talking about him for this roster. This <laughs> another no, guy we in yeah. Tim's uh, cap, another feather in Tim's cap. Uh, but Usman Garuba, who is a... Uh, you know, not I don't think he was lottery, but I think he was fringe lottery, like 16, I think he was a couple of years ago. Well, he got traded, you know, for I think a salary dump basically to OKC, who waived him um a couple of days ago. And, and he's a young player, highly defensive focused, kind of wing guy. Um, do you see any do you have any interest, I guess, in a in a guy like him? I am not the most familiar with his game. I think I need to learn a little bit more about him, but having taken a quick look at his data. This is a young guy going into his age 22 season. He profiles as like a stretch big four uh, on offense and a helper on defense. Very strong rebounder. That's that's apparent in his data. He had solid spot up and pick and pop three-point shooting numbers on fairly low volume. Uh, the Darko skill projections have his true three-point percentage at like 32%, which is not encouraging. His actual three-point percentage thus far has been higher, but the volume on like a – not just like total volume, but like per game uh, on like a per, per 100 possessions or per game basis has also been quite low to the point where it's like we also don't really think we trust this yet. You got you to gotta prove it out a little bit more. It's been on the upswing. That is encouraging to me. Um, but I, he's a guy that hasn't really kind of proven himself, and I think he's in the position he's in for a reason. But – Young guy, you know, international player, played for Real Madrid for a number of years before being drafted by Houston. I think he's worth a look. Like, I'd take a look. I'd bring him in for a workout, see if, see if you like what he has to provide. If you can get – and, again, I don't – he's got decent rim protection data from what I can tell from a real, real quick look. But if he can be a solid helper on defense that can rotate, can defend the rim, can rebound – and then offensively can space the floor. Like, yeah, that's a guy that makes sense in this league. So especially at that that young age, if the shooting is there, I think he's he's worth the look. Yeah. I I am not prepared to say I want him over XYZ player. I think if you're in the next question here is do we prefer him or Wendy and Gabriel? Given you know what I know about each, I'd say Wendy is probably a safer bet, Garuba with more upside. But I need I want to learn a little bit more about him as well. But but yeah, I'd bring him in for a workout and consider him. I would say like pre-Westbrook trade, this team would be a lot more desperate for a guy like him. Um, for mm-hmm. the youth and the skill set and you know the defensive capabilities. But post-Westbrook trade, having brought in Rui and Vanderbilt <sighs> and uh, you know, tried to yeah. develop other guys, I I can just see a, a handful of other teams having more opportunity for him for what he's going to eventually end up signing for, which is probably the minimum or a two way. So all things being equal, I, I do think I would rather have Wenyan, but it's more based off of 
the known commodity that Wenning is. And having seen him in the system already for a year and, you know, the Garuba is the kind of ceiling play I could see of, of the two, but I, I, it's hard to imagine the path where he gets to realize that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you just, if you're bringing him on the roster just to develop him and, and keep him around, like if this is a two way yeah. guy, we're just I'm still like, fine want, with that. Yeah. We want the rights. We want to see what we can do with him over the next year. Like I'm good with that. I he's six eight, and to your point, that's that's another really good element here. Is positionally, he's got a lot of guys in front of him that he'd be fighting for minutes with, and I yeah. don't see him having any realistic path this season to impact the game in, unless he's a, a better player than a, a quick glance is showing me. I would like him more as a longer term develop him play more so than a like this is a guy that's going to help us this year. He would be like a like a fourth string, fifth string breaking break glass in case of emergency yeah. guy. And whereas like Wenyon could like yeah no I can see I can see a path for minutes for him. Like eighty's going to go down at some point for right. hopefully only a game or two. Like we could use a guy who could play like actually play center, even if he's not you know the most domineering force down low. So I, I think positionally he's not set up the best, and that's why Wenyon would for sure have an edge over him. But like yeah, if he should be on a roster somewhere on like a two way or or like a fourteen fifteenth roster spot, if someone tries to develop him into, you know, a little bit more, he's again he's like twenty one, twenty two years old, and he's already flashed. He he's had a season yeah. where he said two seasons in a row of really really elite rebounding data and a season of like really strong two seasons of good defensive impact, one season of decent offensive impact. And this path, you know, several years of being like an okay three point shooter, even if the volume's not right there. So there's this is like, you know, tap into that potential a little bit more. If you're consistently hitting your threes, just not on high volume, like, can we scale this? Because if so, that suddenly, you know, makes you much more valuable in offense. So there's certainly more to explore with him. He's not a guy that I'm like, yeah, we know what he is and we're ready to move on. Would you cut Fudge or Hodge? To give him a two-way. I would cut Fudge to give him a two-way, I think. Yeah, I think I agree. I I can't cut my boy Hodge, but not that I'm out on Fudge or anything, but I think that would be the guy who, you know, as of right now, Castleton still has a two-way. So maybe if they strike out on Wood and Biombo, you you convert Castleton and try to try to bring on Garuba or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that would still again lead to a long road to him seeing meaningful minutes on the parent team. Yeah, I just he's flashed enough skill in enough areas that it's like, yeah, we need like two things to pan out for him to be an NBA player. Whereas with Fudge, I think it's there's you're much more project territory where, like, yeah, still keep him on the G League team, still try to develop him. But if we're looking to get rights on a guy that you know, we don't want him to be stolen away from us halfway into the season. I would imagine that Garuba would halfway into this year be in a much, much better place to showcase that he's ready to be snatched up by somebody than Fudge would be. So that's part of my decision making as well. All right. And that should do it for our uh, mailback after after a week off here, Tim. Um, I'm down to watch a vintage game tomorrow night if we want to uh, throw up a poll or, or do something. But, you know, I'm I'm around this week, man. Let's uh, sweet. Let's do some more streams if 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 we got time. Absolutely. Want to watch some uh, Lakers Celtics? 
Oh, I'm always down. Always down. I'll, could, I'll put the poll up. We will, you know, I'm not going to fix, you know, rig anything here, but yeah, I expect that to win. Uh, right. <laughs> it, we also had the, we had the POW introduction to the Basketball Hall of Fame, so we could do a POW game uh, if we want to, but that kind of, POW was very instrumental in that game seven, including, you know, outside of the Artest three, uh, so the World Peace three, he had that uh, double clutch falling down, Definitely touched the ground when he shot it, but it went in basket to to give the Lakers. Uh, I think it was a four point lead at that time. I, I think that might have been the moment for me where I was like, "This is happening!" Like, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So, either way, whether it's that separate pal game that we had identified and put on the poll where he did like go off, it would be a you know very good vintage pal game. We we will also see an element of that for sure with that Celtics game too. So, I will put that up. This poll will be up for i mean i guess we'll call it around i mean we don't have to really prep for this game so yeah. we'll call it sometime in the afternoon tomorrow yeah. uh it'll be up on discord if you want to get into the discord you can do so for free or you can you can pay to join as well if you're more interested in the various tiers we have available uh or, or paying to get in you can check out the link in my bio on, on twitter x or whatever it's called uh if you want to get in for free dm me tom or the lakers exceptionalism podcast Twitter account, a five-star review of the pod, and we will get you in there. Once you're in there, great community, lots of fun channels, good conversation going on. Even the, the dog days of summer here with absolutely nothing happening for, for a bit of time other than these USA games, there's still good conversation happening. But things really, really pick up as we get into preseason, the, the regular season, and the playoffs. It's just such a, a fun place to get, be to have good basketball conversation among friends, among Lakers fans, without you know other teams' fans looking over your shoulder. So, Good place to be. Uh, Want to shout out a few folks at different tiers within that group. We got Court Prowse and TJ Timotaji at the arena sponsorship level. Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppler, Romario at the, and then we've got the courtside and lower bowl crews as well. We got folks in there, you know, consuming bonus pods, X's and O's content, bonus channels, all sorts of good stuff. Check that out, uh, tinyurl.com slash support Lakers X pod or Lakers X pod, whichever you prefer, or uh, DM us or check out the link in my bio. That's how you get in. That's how you can vote. Absolutely. And uh, we do have some real team USA games coming up soon, but they're like at the butt crack of the morning. So not sure how much we will be able to stream those. We do have a, a Greece matchup coming up in a week, Tim. Team USA Ooh, like that at 5:40 a.m. Hey, Greece can help her a little, a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, five, well, okay, it's a little bit later for me, thankfully. But we do have. <laughs> I mean, we've got an uh, even with just like within the Discord, I'm learning more and more. Like we got people all over the world in this like this community. It's so much fun, man. I'm, we get. I'm not against it. I'm just saying, if uh, if you can't do it, I understand. <laughs> I, I'm. I actually, I'm, I might be interested. That would be Monday, I believe, right? Yeah. After Monday, uh, we have a Saturday game against New Zealand. Mm. I will not be participating in the uh, game against Jordan, that, which for me would be at 3.40 in the morning. <laughs> which, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, we'll keep you guys updated. But yeah, keep an eye out for yep. those. Uh, either way, we'll be back tomorrow at 6 Pacific. And uh, until next time, thanks so much for listening. Talk to you later.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.